This Raw Green episode is brought to you by Obi, a sustainability consultancy firm specialized in life cycle assessment and decarbonization strategies. For more information, check oneobi.com or visit our page on social media. Links in the description. Welcome, uh, welcome to a new episode of uh, Raw Green. Today I want to dive into a hot topic, ESG requirements. You probably heard about different uh, environmental, social and governance standards. But let's be real, they're not the easiest to wrap your head around, especially if you're not an expert in the field. The thing is, the rules and standards are multiplying like crazy, and it's becoming increasingly difficult to keep pace with the changes. It's like trying to follow a moving target. This is one of the reasons we are seeing this explosion of ESG reporting software. These tools are designed to simplify the process for companies, making it easier to collect, analyze, and report their ESG data in a way that's meaningful and transparent. But here's the kicker. With so many different standards and tools out there, it is tough to know which one to trust. The lack of consistency across the board makes it challenging to compare companies and industries accurately. It's like trying to compare apples to oranges, except there are a million different types of apples and oranges, each one with its own set of rules. However, despite the confusion and uncertainty, there is no denying that embracing ESG principles, it is crucial for building a better, more sustainable future. By prioritizing transparency, accountability, and positive change, we can drive meaningful progress in our organization and communities. The guests we have today embrace the sustainability, ESG, and circular economy principles for more than 20 years. He's the founder and CEO of Rio, a sustainability platform that helps companies to measure and analyze their carbon footprint. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, here for you, Dan Botteril. Ciao, Dan. Welcome. Ciao, Francesco. Lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, thank you for being here. And... Uh, uh, what what you guys do at Rio, it is uh, no easy task. Uh, it is uh, it is uh, it is kind of complicated. And uh, I wanted to start by uh, asking you: uh, you have uh, over twenty years of experience uh, into the whole ESG and uh, sustainability environment, uh, which is uh, way before uh, it got this massive kick of the past uh, five eight years. Uh, how did you end up? developing an ESG platform and why? Yeah, it, it makes me it makes it, it makes me feel old when you put it that way. <laughs> 20, <laughs> 20, worse, 20 years ago, right? It's like, oh my God, I didn't realize that happened. But yeah, so I, I it, it has changed a lot. This whole kind of space has changed a lot. But I think 
it also changes as we understand more, right? Through life and how we learn about things and how we experience different things and, and yeah. it's working. So, but, uh, but, you know, from my early career, I, I studied, I studied environmental technology at university. I did a, a law degree in environmental law. I kind of, you know, I guess I was destined to work in this area to some extent. I always loved sustainability. I didn't really know what it was until I, uh, until I came across the Rio Declaration of Sustainability and thought, oh my God, that's what I need to do with my career. You know, as society, we need to progress kind of in a balanced way. We need economic development, but we need to consider the environment and society at the same time. And to me, that just made perfect sense as a model. So, so yeah, I started my career kind of thinking, I'm, you know, I'm going to go out and be sustainable and help sustainability happen in different places. So early career was, was really based on, um, on the environmental protection side of things. So I did a lot of work in contaminated land. I did a lot of work on landfill sites in the waste management industry. Really oh, wow. glamorous places, Francesca. Mm. It was lovely. It was lovely mm. times. <laughs> uh, but, but, what it, but what it kind of taught me was just these real issues, ground level issues that, that companies have to deal with. You know, when you go and visit a site, do an audit, um, meet the people, you know, you understand what their environment is and what their impact is and, and you know, think about ways that you can help them be better and help them improve. So, so I kind of, you know, that early stage of my career was brilliant to learn and see how things happen ground level. Um, and then I was kind of fortunate enough to meet some investors, you know, some VCs and some private equity investors and kind of build them up as a client base. So start understanding how they looked at clean tech, how they looked at environment, how they looked at sustainability and what the issues were for them, what the trends were for them. So you know, that, that kind of led me into this whole world of ESG. They weren't calling it ESG at the time, you know, mm-hmm. like late 2000s, but it really was kind of the, the start of the ESG movement. And well, I it was more HSC. Yeah, exactly. It started as an extension of HSC, yeah. Absolutely. Environmental, due, it was like, cool, you, investors would kind of go, right, I want to buy that power station, the environmental due diligence, you know, yeah. what's the legal stuff? Are the people safe? Have they got the right procedures? And that's kind of morphed into ESG slash sustainability now, right? Like I think <clears throat> that's the next progression. Is this kind of the you know, people using ESG and sustainability interchangeably? Which I think is a is I used to not have a problem with that, but I think I think it's kind of created a lot of the problems that we see now from the, the kickback in the US and and other places. Is that kind of misunderstanding between ESG, which is an investor's toolkit to understand risk, versus an actual strategy to help the planet and people live in a much cleaner, better way. And that's sustainability. And that's what I do. And that's what I want to do. It just so happens we can do ESG at the same time if we take that sustainable viewpoint. So, so I kind of, you know, my, my, you know, why did I end up building Rio? I I wanted to create a a platform that could help companies anywhere in the world to do a lot of this stuff themselves, you know, to, and and that was, that's been my driver for, I guess, probably 10 years of my career now. we, we started building Rio in 2018, but the first idea behind Rio probably started in 2013, probably started about 10 years ago. So okay. I've kind of been building towards what we have now. And you mentioned great introduction at the start, just this blitz of law all of a sudden and compliance, right? That's yes. going to change madness. everything. You know? It's madness. It's madness. And uh, uh, it is, uh, it is uh, a, a legislator game of catching up with the market demand, the way I see it. Uh, and uh, many of the draft or the standards or regulations that are out 
uh, are in- incredibly uh, too generic and they need to be specified per industry. We're not talking about accounting here because if you have a number, that is the number. Here we're talking about completely different set of rules, even in the same industry. You're talking about the mining industry. If you're mining copper or you're mining ores, it is a different thing and different sets of requirements that you need different technologies, hence different environmental impacts across different territories. It it is very difficult to generalize on something like that uh, and create a unified uh, set of standards. I recognize that. I recognize that. Uh, however, uh, uh, however, what 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 they're doing it is this. It is a generalization at the moment, which resulted in two things. First of all, is confusion. It's very confusing. Uh, it's confusing for us that we work with this on a daily basis. Uh, it is confusing for companies that they need to catch up with requirements. And it's even more confusing for companies that they need to start their journey towards their uh, ESG metrics uh, quantification and then their decarbonization strategies. So it is very, 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 very complex. And uh, uh, it is, like you said, it is a, it is a, it is a learn, like you had, it is a learning curve, right? Uh, there was this yeah. massive market demand and then uh, that translated into uh, companies jumping on the wagon of sustainability, uh, some in a very good way, some in a really bad way. Uh, and then uh, the need, the consequent need for legislators to protect consumer with uh, misleading claims or data, or whatever, uh, that created also the opportunity uh, for you to develop Rio uh, to, to help companies uh, with uh, with uh, uh, with their requirements with their ESG reporting um, which is uh, obviously a very very important thing uh, I wanted to ask you uh, about uh, the, the the different kind of platforms now uh, like it is at uh, legislation level also at offer level now there is this proliferation of softwares and you can still see that we are at the beginning of a very important market uh, the, and the, and the reason why I'm saying this it is because uh, like uh, I, I keep using the accounting example there isn't a zero uh, on the market that covers, everything okay that it is uh, as a accessible price point uh, and that covers uh, your accounting requirements you have uh, very good softwares that are very complete to do a number of things uh, others that do other things what it is even more crazy uh, it is the pricing so there are some the pricing differences there are some uh, that are madly expensive like unreasonably expensive and uh, some others that uh, are unreasonably cheap they cost like a coffee a day or less than a coffee a day uh to 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 have them so what's the catch what's the catch on this pricing strategies it's it's a really good question i think so the, the zero example, where's the the zero? The, who is the zero? The zero for sustainability software, right? Like, and is it is it even possible? Now, I think you know financial reporting, financial measurement 
is something that's been done for hundreds of years, right? Yeah. And there's very serious penalties if you don't report an honest view of your financials. You're in prison, no doubt. Yeah. You're fraudulent. Your brand reputation's crushed. All of those drivers have been built up over time and therefore the way we collect data and information surrounding financial kind of performance, yes, it's tricky when you cross boundary international and all these things, but fundamentally you're measuring one thing, money. Yeah. Sustainability, we could be measuring 50, 100 different data points, right? For things yeah. we've never collected before. There's no infrastructure. You know, there's, there's no digital systems to kind of automatically measure your carbon. There's very few really reliable energy management APIs like to, to the big kind of energy industry. So, you know, all of a sudden, if you want to collect, you want to be the zero, zero works because it's incredibly scalable, right? Because people have data and information they can upload to it. You know, and they, they want to invoice, they can measure that one thing. What becomes the challenge is, yeah, I need to, I've got 30, 40 different data points I need to manage. Some are environmental, some are social, some are governance, some are economic related. So that's part of the challenge now. And I think that's where that price comes in because it's, you know, for SMEs, for smaller companies, I can see, I think we're really close to having a very scalable, low cost model for uncomplicated single site or few site organizations where you can self-serve, you can go in, you know, you've not got that much data, you can help guide with estimations to get a robust position still. But the really big complex ones, you know, the, uh, some of our clients are in 90 different countries, um, capturing all sorts of different data, God, yeah. not knowing where to look for it, where to find it. It seems that there's, there's, there's those bigger issues to solve first before we can kind of imagine that there is this, a true zero kind of proposition that, that kind of serves, serves the market. So I'm kind of pragmatic in our approach at Rio, like, like you, Francesca. I think it has to be kind of a hybrid. Yeah. You know, there has to be a way for the people that know about this stuff, plus the digital kind of software systems to work together for now until that, that better infrastructure is available to grab the data points from. And I think that unleashes a huge amount of scalability because the danger right now is people will tell you, oh, yeah, we can do this. And they can because they just estimate everything. And does it give you a real view of performance? Like, you know, it's some, some, kind of, some of these kind of corporate carbon footprints you see, and especially in kind of investment fund levels, I wouldn't, you know, I, I just can't accept their accuracy to any level or any mm -hmm. level of confidence. Mm -hmm. I might as well just written a number and given it to them. Like, you know, and the, the, the obsession is that they just want to disclose. They don't really care the number a lot of the time. They just they want, they just want to communicate it. Carbon, told you. There's no penalties, <laughs> you know, for them getting that wrong. Um, so, you know, you can kind of see, I can see this case for like just huge fraudulence on, on accounting, particularly around carbon. Yeah. And, you know, but just the market opportunities that people aren't seeing that that creates for a carbon tax and a carbon economy, if it's done, done correctly. So, yeah, I kind of think that there's a lot of things for us to solve. I focus on carbon because it's probably the easiest thing for us to, get our heads around right like as a as an indicator of sustainability yeah. but you know there's all sorts of other things that we're, we're looking at now nature nature-based credits and nature-based disclosures as well and yeah. kind of environmental performance through criticization so there's there's loads of this other stuff coming but yeah right right now the fundamental issue i think on scalability is just data quality really that's holding things back and on on data quality i wanted to ask you something that uh it is uh, at the base of everything that gets disclosed. 
uh, based on your 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 current knowledge, mm-hmm. and uh, you, you you go through this uh, on a, on a daily basis. Right now, what is, in your opinion, the 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 data, the quality, and reliability of the data that are used to calculate? Uh, the emissions of company X, Y, and Z? Um, scope one and two, pretty good. Getting very good. Scope three, just, you know. A, a disaster. <laughs> why, why you say, yeah, why it, you say it's, it's a disaster? Not, not necessarily a disaster. It does depend very much on sector and scale, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's because it's so variable, isn't it, for every company, every organization, you know, whatever product or service you produce, you know, is so variable from company to company. And I think that's the major challenge, you know, for companies is that estimation of data because, you know, your direct impacts, as we said earlier, you can pretty easily measure those things, you know, depend, again, depending on the sector that you're operating in. And a lot of this is energy, right? Energy use, yeah. energy consumption, energy utilization. And we've got a pretty good grip on that bit. The rest of it, embodied carbon life cycle where you guys are really strong and you specialize you know that that kind of element is i think some people see it as a bit of a dark art you know it is it is it is magic um but it's scientific though when it's done right it's based on very scientific assumptions it's based some you know some things are done in the laboratory right like laboratory and kind of measured very scientifically so Again, that reduces scalability. If you've got to go and get your product sent to a lab to be analyzed to, to yeah. work out this stuff, again, that's another back to the issue of data collection and data quality. How yes. many companies are going to pay for that at the moment when they don't need to? Very little. Um, yeah, if none. Ones yeah. that want to differentiate do it because they think, actually, I can show that my product is less carbon, less embodied carbon, is greener, has a lower impact. And they're the ones that are going to benefit from these taxes that are going to come in as well, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think. Yeah, to me, that's the kind of the, you know, I'd say huge amounts of, you know, scope three is very, very, very difficult um, and relies is, on a lot of honesty as well. It <laughs> so. does. It does. It does rely a lot on the honesty, communication, uh, transparency. And uh, yes, we, we, hold on, we, we do a lot of <laughs> uh, uh, life cycle assessments uh, and uh, so working on the verticals uh of uh, products uh and uh, and supply chain and the data collection it is uh, excruciating excruciating yeah. just you have to literally go and grab them uh it is uh, very hard to be communicated to you and when uh, those data are not communicated to you you have to rely on a secondary set uh, of data which are fantastic uh, because it, uh, the emission factors uh, you have databases that they have been uh, uh, collecting data from the 70s uh, for certain industries, uh, yeah. not for others, not for others, because, for example, there is uh, pharma and chemicals uh, where the availability of data, it is very, very low, very, very low. Uh, but again, like you said, it is an opportunity uh, and uh, those databases are not cheap at all you know that uh no. really well uh they're not cheap so it is it is an opportunity power, right? people hold it. <laughs> it is an opportunity uh like uh the, the 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 end part of the process which is the reporting it is growing and uh, consolidating uh, 
it needs to go at the, in a, in a parallel uh, speed and direction. Also, the data collection to improve the quality of your reporting at the end of the day of the reliability yeah. of the end reporting that has to be done. Absolutely fundamental. Absolutely, Absolutely fundamental. That's, Do, the, that's, a, that's the philosophical thing, there, isn't it, Francesco? Like report. Why why are you reporting? Because yeah. the law tells you to, or because you're you're a good person and you want to be transparent <laughs> about your business, and you actually want yeah. to use the data to do better. Yeah. Now, if you're serious about what you're doing, then that's great because the disclosure is easy. The regulator is never going to go, "Oh, Francesco, it should have been twenty-seven tons, not thirty-two. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> well, it's just not going to happen. With the thousands of companies doing this, it's not going to happen, is it? Like, no. it's, it's it's more about like how important do you see these this data helping you undertake your business in a more efficient prosperous manner like responsible yeah. manner reporting is just reporting i get bored of reporting it does not you know i know it's a big drive for our business and we have to do it and it's, it's what gets us paid but i hate it when it's just reporting that we're doing i know <laughs> it's the value of the data right it is uh, and then <clears throat> how you yeah, crunch absolutely. those numbers and you interpret them uh, and what you can build on those numbers rather than the reporting to make some uh, stakeholder happy uh, to get that chop uh, or that uh, certificate uh, somewhere yeah I, I agree with you totally also because uh, then we we enter into a completely different uh let's say conversation which is the one of uh the, these standards and the way that they are developed these standards and most importantly when the certificates are released uh, basically who is auditing the auditor uh, <laughs> which is again it's a topic for a, 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 like a month of conversations uh, around it what i wanted to ask you it is uh, uh we, we basically started to talk about this do you think in in a very tangible way that it is enough for companies to just concentrate on the ESG reporting uh, according to one of these million standards uh, or it should be done more and in case it should be done more what do you think companies should do? Yeah, um, I I think... um... I think the government should, I think any government should, um, should make sustainability reporting more mandatory. You know, I think it needs to be more than financial disclosure that we get our companies doing now. And I don't think that means the obsession, I think before a lot of this law was coming, CSRD kind of in in Europe and so on. And, you know, the obsession was for all of these frameworks and, you know, optional standards to just overcomplicate and go, here's hundreds of KPIs that you should use and report on <clears throat> without really focusing on materiality and what's material to you as an organization. So my thing with all of any businesses, we'll just do the materiality bit, work out exactly what is, you know, from a sustainability view is critical to you now in terms of your, your, your short, medium, long-term financial risk, but also the impact you can have outwards, right? Because we mm-hmm. want to be responsible companies that double materiality approach. I think if there's like every company, you know, looked at it that way and thought, these are the three things that really are truly material to us. So we're just going to focus our efforts there. Okay. That would make everything much more, more simple. 
And yeah. I think in some ways, CSRD is <clears throat> potentially moving in that direction because it's saying, look, here, we need you corporates to tell us now what you're up to. And we need you to do double materiality. Um, but you kind of need to tell us why that's not material to you. Otherwise, you know, you're, you know, we're going to get you. <laughs> we're going to have you. <clears throat> so I think maybe, you know, maybe there's a middle ground between the, the reality of, and that kind of enforcement. Um, but yeah, I, I just think, you know, if we just got companies focusing more on that, fewer things that are critical to their financial, financially material enterprise value linked, but starting to think we've all got a, a broader responsibility here. Mm. And, and I think that is a generational thing, right? Like, because I've seen my career go through these different stakeholders, different boardrooms. And and now, you know, I, I kind of feel there are people coming into the boardroom that do have this perspective as well, you know, mm. in big companies who wants to, to just behave more responsibly, who isn't just about short-term financial gain. So I think that hopefully drives it on top of, and you said that at the start, I think regulation is catching up to some of these behaviors, but the typical company will do the bare minimum. And especially if they're small, yeah. all that really matters is staying in business, right? Yeah. So if you layer on all that extra responsibility of reporting and they're just trying to keep afloat, what do you think is going to happen? It's a, ma it's a massive know? burden. Uh, and it's just no good yeah. to anyone. Yeah. It's no good to anyone. So we've got to find ways to help them and make it really easy for them to do this, yeah. but also show them at the same time. By the way, I'm asking you about carbon, but I'm really saying, could you not be paying less on your energy? Could we save you money on your waste and your utilities? And then we'll just measure the carbon for you. That's the sell for me is that make this about just a, a better business process. And then they'll be happy to give you the data <laughs> because you've shown them how to make savings, how to do better, how to improve. Um, so maybe there's something there in, in kind of the way we, we all approach it as software providers. And we don't just think about the regulatory stick. We think about actually, how do we engage our users to give them something a bit, users to give them something a bit more than that, to give them something that they can do and help improve them. So that's where our philosophy is, you know, yes, reporting is there, an objective, a clear one for the board, but really we're using that as a, as a veil to hopefully help them see a better business process. Yeah, that's a beautiful way. Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, that's, that's what it should be. Uh, yeah, of course, the, the yeah. quantification of uh, the, 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 the impacts uh, of the company and uh, uh, what can be done to reduce them, fantastic and uh, necessary. Uh, on, at the same time, uh, uh, there are entrepreneurs and uh, employees that depend on that company, adding more cost on it in several circumstances. It is not feasible, not doable. So that value proposition that you help to generate more income overside or more savings that translate in more purchase, purchase power on the other side, it is fantastic. And it is right to have this double value proposition, you have the double materiality. At the same time, you want to give also that double value proposition. I like it a lot. Uh, let me ask you something. I was reading on the news a few days ago uh watershed which is another uh, um, platform raised a hundred million us dollars closed a round of a hundred million dollars uh, a few days ago uh sweep uh mm -hmm. a year and a half two years ago another hundred million dollars raised into this uh i am not aware of the exact figure on how much they make how much they generate in revenues but it's not staggering numbers. 
my question is, uh, how do you compete with that? Yeah, really, really interesting, isn't it? So, so Rio is also VC backed to this point. We haven't uh, had a hundred million raised mm-hmm. just yet. Um, but you know, I think with with you know companies that are climate tech companies like these guys are, who are very, I think, very focused on the carbon vertical. Um, obviously, it gives them a huge amount of resources at their disposal to to kick on and move forwards. Um, I, how we compete with those guys is that we are we are genuinely one platform for sustainability. I don't think they can say that. If they say that, I'd love to see it. Um, I think it's you know, having that broader view that this is more than just that siloed carbon view of the world <clears throat> is what's absolutely essential to kind of help companies drive this whole agenda forward. So I see ourselves actually very different than those guys. I see ourselves as a sustainability platform, not a carbon platform. We do the carbon work, we do we help you get to your scope three, we help you analyze all that stuff but just as one material factor versus anything else. So that's our opportunity as Rio is to be genuinely the, the zero in this example that mm-hmm. you used earlier, rather than a very not, you know, niche silo product. Um, you know, a lot, a lot, I think, I think on your question on revenues, I think I heard, I'd have to check this. I think Watershed's probably like 50 million ARR kind of revenue at a $1.8 billion valuation. So, nice. you know, the, they're kind of institutional investors have leveraged them for a, a big play, haven't they? Mm, either either yeah. way. Um, but that also I don't think is is too much given the scale of the market opportunity either. As we know, if every company around the world has to disclose its, its carbon yeah. footprint, yeah. monster market. Yeah. But you know, I kind of think that it's zero that will have that market when it mm. gets to that point, or Sage <laughs> in some ways. You know, so... It's it's an it's an because why wouldn't they? They've already got the scale. They've already got all the financial data and information. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's stopping them? Themselves that way? Yeah, what's stopping so, them? But that's what's so going to yeah, happen, think right? I think, the consolidation yeah, of the yeah. market at a certain point—that's a natural part of the life cycle of uh, of, of products Absolutely. or service. But what buy or be bought basically is what's going to yeah. happen, and it's it's so nascent still and. You know, I talk to, to investors all the time about this and, you know, what's the right strategy and there's a lot, there's lots of options on which way you go. I think, you know, ge- genuinely from our perspective, trying to build a sustainable business model has been our, our priority. Yes, we've invested a lot of money to develop Rio and develop the business to get to this point, but we want to do it with that long-term sustainable mind, mindset. Yeah. Um, and I think be around, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm in no rush. <laughs> I'll get mm. this right, <laughs> and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll benefit broader people. <clears throat> um, I'm not sure, so sure about the rest of the market. Of course, it's going to be you're going to get opportunistic people, right? Yeah. My, my worry, and some of the results I've seen from others, like, is you can you can overfocus on the data, like the the software infrastructure challenge, and forget this is an incredibly technical, process driven subject matter that has all those different verticals of knowledge that you need to understand to get right. It isn't just a data challenge. That's just the tip of the iceberg, right? It's just totally. how that company manages its waste, its water, how it travels, how it produces its products, all of these things to get your product right. You need to understand that and show you understand that um, and not be superficial about it. No, totally. And, uh, and you, you raised such a very important part, uh, which is, uh, what do you decide to offer 
Uh, is it, uh, am I going to offer the, the Fancy Nancy logo of the certification that I got? Or I do have something mm-hmm. that it is not fancy at all, but it is scientific with the highest data quality you can have on the market uh, and make that, again, uh, final data quality of the highest level possible right now the market and i see it also on the on the carbon footprinting and lca in general part uh, is more interesting into the logo to have a stamp of some sort very colorful uh because that's what attracts the 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 final uh, the final uh, consumer but also at p2b level uh, it is what attracts uh, several of the end receiver of that product. Very few are going to ask uh, of that certification that you got. Uh, is it traceable? Do you have a underneath report that has been done accordingly? Uh, it is. Uh, it is something that uh, it will build up uh, when there is more uh, knowledge of the topic. When there are more. ESG or sustainability managers inside companies uh, when that curve of knowledge uh, will become steeper. Uh, so that that's, that's what's going to happen. It, again, I'm not saying we are in the infancy, but just a li- one step after the infancy of the overall knowledge on the topic. I agree. I absolutely and I think you see, so we've got kind of in the UK, SDR, you know, the, mm-hmm. the sustainable disclosure requirements coming and labeling of potential labeling of financial products and funds. And we're seeing with SFDR kind of the sustainable finance disclosure regulations, these different shades of green concepts used for different fund types, depending on how much they address sustainable uh, sustainability or sustainable investment. So, yeah. And I think that B Corp thing is the, what you're talking about, where people think, oh, I'm B Corp, so I'm, I'm one of the good guys, clearly. One of. B Corp. They're not necessarily just B Corp, <laughs> but yeah, now yeah, it is it of. is synonymous of uh, a very good uh, and uh, conscious company. While maybe there are some others that they have a full inventory of their carbon emissions and other environmental impacts, but they don't yeah. have a B Corporation certificate. It's not necessarily one is good or is bad, but right now, what it is being asked, uh, it is uh, B Corp uh, or any other uh, certification uh, of that sort. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just easy to kind of disguise, isn't it, um, what you really are through those certifications, potentially yeah. if they're not properly verified or audited as well. And I think it's just, yeah, be, be careful about that. And I think, I think B Corp also, you get a bit unfortunate because people will say, oh, how could you... M- how can Nespresso be a B Corp? Like, you're like, exactly. Well, why? What's your, what's your question? They just like, started uh, with the recycle pods. That single use plastic, yeah. uh, that single yeah. use plastic. Actually, uh, there are some pods that they have uh, seven different kinds of materials inside. Seven, no one, two, three, wow. four, five, six, seven kind of materials inside. How the hell are you going to recycle that? Is not possible, and it is single use again. So yes, exactly. Sorry, but my vein starts to explode when I hear something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It drives me it's insane. Po- this is the point, isn't it? Where ESG. This is the difference between ESG and sustainability as well. Like you can have a brilliant ESG score, John Espresso, because you can say we we understand all of our risk. Yeah, but. 
could fundamentally be a disgusting, polluting vehicle for a company because of what you put on the market and don't care about. Mm. Um, and people but still have a really high ESG score. And that's the difference between sustainability and ESG. Yes. You, you display no responsibility for what you do because you know that product is just going to end up in the landfill. It's of no use to anybody. And it's fundamentally, you've had years to change that. You've done nothing. So come on. Like, just come on, for God's sake, come on. So it's, it's things like that. And it's like when I go to events and you got like Philip Morris talking next to you about this ESG wrapped in sustainability. You're like, come on, guys, you kill people, your core product. Brilliant ESG, but you're killing people. That's people's yeah. choice, right? But yeah. at the same time, this blur between those things is part of the issue, Yeah, I think. Yes, it yeah. is. Well, okay, everybody, every nature of business it is allowed to do their uh, uh, study uh, reporting uh, verification and quantification of their emissions however is that when that particular label or standard that intervenes in that cleans up the nature of the business that drives me insane okay uh, like you said, uh, you have a tobacco company that uh, maybe it is a B Corp uh, company now. I don't know if they're allowed, but uh, this is just an extreme. Uh, but who, who knows? It's maybe. An extreme example. <laughs> yeah, it's an extreme example. But it, it has to, it has to be kept in mind. And we we also go back to the to one of the things we were saying before, which is uh, uh, who audits the auditors, uh, and that happens uh, for this kind of standards happens on carbon offsets. And uh, which they are there, they need to go through an entire revamping of their standards and uh, audits and verification mm. methodologies. We know that. Uh, so that 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 it is that it is again also that part is still in the infancy. There is this company I don't remember the name. Uh, I'll let you know that uh, it has had last year a huge success uh which is basically a auditor of the auditors uh of uh carbon offset projects uh, and they also provide uh, carbon insurance something like that fantastic fantastic just a simple idea just a simple idea like that boom they're going uh they're going really really well uh, let me ask you w- one more thing uh ai uh what what do you think uh, it is going to do? Is it going to help uh, your business? Is it going to help uh, Rio? Uh, or is it going to be disrupted at the level that uh, no more ESG platform are going to be required in 20 years? <clears throat> it's a great question, isn't it? Like that, that uh, I, I, I firm, kind of firmly believe why, why we use AI so much in Rio and the platform and our roadmap is I actually think it's the only way we can democratize sustainability. Okay. I, I don't think, you know, given all those things we said earlier about where do I find data? How do I do this? Like what's happened recently with chat GPT and those natural, those natural language, what those big kind of models is my God, there's like another way to find out information and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and put it, get it, get it put in a way for me to understand more easily as well. Now that coupled with a, a more granular kind of, um, like symbolic AI approach that we've kind of used for, for knowledge-based building, I think is the is the key to kind of how you create this self-sufficiency around this stuff and this knowledge. So, so yeah, for, I'm a huge advocate of it. And, you know, that, that kind of whole debate around, 
or people are going to lose lose their jobs because of because of AI and um, you know that, that that kind of side of the argument um, is really tricky, isn't it? So, uh, mm. You can't you can't predict the future on, on that and how much it's going to change our industries. Um, but there's always going to be a place for people that are really good at what they do you know, and are really passionate about what they do and are very build up their knowledge about what they do and their ground level experience. And I think my job for with Rio is to capture those guys experience, knowledge, things that make them work, and then get that out to as many people as I can in as cost-effective a way as possible. And so therefore, like, I can only do that with AI. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know any other way we can do that without, you know, because because as we said right at the start, companies just can't afford to pay for the premium on the human consultant or advisor. Yeah, Most people just can't afford to pay that. So yeah, for me, it has to be kind of AI has to be a huge answer to sustainability. It is It is a massive help. It is a massive help. Uh, uh, it could be, it is already, sorry, a extremely valuable tool uh, to, to managers uh, all around the world. Uh, I, am a, I am a pessimistic in the long run, not about now, not in the next 10 years. But in the long run, I fear we ended up, we're going to end up like in the matrix. Uh, however, <laughs> I know, I know. It, 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 I think we're already it in there, mate. Sound, we're already there. <laughs> it may maybe we're already there. <laughs> it may sound ridiculous, uh, but the, 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 when I read articles, uh, uh, and this is what it is communicated to us, we don't know what they're concocting uh, behind closed doors. Uh, the the, mm -hmm. the first thing that comes into my mind, it is pull the plug right now. Um, because maybe it will come uh, under control. It will not be, sorry, under control. But I, I agree with you. If you want to make uh, sustainability and ESG services uh, accessible to a broader uh, range uh, and audience uh, of companies, you need that level of automation that uh, otherwise it is not possible uh, with a human, uh, 100% uh, human force. Um, so, yes, uh, I, yeah. I agree with you. I kind of uh, think, though, sorry? Had, you know, for years and years of, 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 of kind of <clears throat> um, overly confident kind of people, politicians in positions with, with nuclear weapons at their disposal. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot more kind of human error that can, that can get attached to that yeah. um, than a, a machine to look at, essentially. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from and only time's going to tell on that, right? And all yeah. I can think about now, right now is, um, I guess, AI as an application in what we do with Rio. How do I use it as an individual myself responsibly as well? Yeah. Um, and that's that's all I can be faced with. It just, It feels exciting, but I also get that. There's a bit of, God, what could it be here? Yeah. yeah, what could it be? Well, let's wait. Let's wait and see what's going to happen. It's definitely going to be exciting. And there is, uh, for, for what concerns uh, us and, uh, let's say, everybody that it is involved uh, in sustainability and ESG and the companies and persons that are going to be involved, there is a lot of job to do, uh, AI or not. Oh, yeah. And uh, with this, uh, I would like to uh, thank you uh, for participating uh, to this episode. It's been great and I uh, appreciated uh, your time. 
And uh, uh, thank you. I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Francesco. Thank you. Pleasure. All right. Ciao, then. You take care. Ciao. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Raw Green. Brought to you by Obi, a sustainability consultancy firm specialized in life cycle assessment and decarbonization strategies. If you're looking to make an impact, a tangible and measurable one, reach out to us on our website at oneobi.com or visit our social media. Links below in the description. See you at the next episode. Ciao. Thank <laughs> you.